This is the Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The Word to Stand On for Life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. We've made it through another week. It's Friday. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program committed to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, anything and everything. All you need to do is provide the call. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Our main number one more time is 340-9585. Hey, for us, it's a communion Sunday uh, coming up this weekend. I'm always thrilled about uh, communion Sundays, a chance to be with the family that God has placed us in and and uh, share in the Lord's table. That's always a blessing. Uh, If it is likewise Communion Sunday for you, um, just remember with a grateful heart, with a truly grateful heart, what he's done for you and what an honor it is to have been invited to a dinner that, well, we have no other way of getting in other than just the invitation. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believed, that's all we have to do is believe. That's all we need to do. Hey, uh, we've got a Friday night study tonight, and I would appreciate prayer. Um, um, we're, we're starting in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, beginning in verse 10. I'm going to go very slowly through the um, the weapons of spiritual warfare. Uh, Any time that you do a Bible study on spiritual warfare, believe me, I can tell you firsthand, it doesn't matter how many times I've done it or how many years I've been doing it, the the spiritual warfare really gets ratcheted up. And I'm sure that's the case for the people that will be here tonight as well. Uh, There is an enemy who doesn't want you to receive that which God has for you, and he will stop at nothing. He is ruthless. He is relentless. He'll stop at nothing to keep us from hearing. So we're going to go, we're going to do a very slow, it might be as many as six weeks in just the weapons of warfare tonight, the introduction in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10, 11, and 12. So I would appreciate your prayer. Uh, The enemy is going to be here and uh, he's going to be trying to wreak havoc and we don't want him to. 
Okay, well, let's get to questions while we wait your phone calls on this Friday afternoon. Uh, our first one comes from John. And he said, Hi, Pastor Ron. I went through the seven churches and compiled a list of pros and cons, uh, what each church was commended for, and areas of improvement. What else would you recommend vis-a-vis your suggestion to read through Revelation chapter 2 and 3. Thank you, John. And I use this question because I think it's so important, especially as we're we're sort of going to be digging into spiritual warfare. Um, the, the, the seven letters that Jesus writes to the church uh, are so uh, important for us. They're so practical. Uh, and, and you said, what is my recommendation uh, as you're reading through them? I think the main thing, John, is to apply those passages, those um, corrections, uh, in some cases rebukes, uh, in some cases only two, but but one really where there's just nothing but, but you're doing well. I know you're weak. I know that you have little strength, but you're doing the best you can. You've not denied me. I'm with you. So whatever it applies, then the overcomer's promises that follow those. And what we need to do is look deep inside our hearts and be honest enough to say, okay, Lord, those are characteristics that were prevalent in the church that you were writing 2,000 years ago. But some of those characteristics, well, to be honest, they're in my heart as well. And it gives us an opportunity to really examine our heart deeply and get to the place where all of those overcomers Overcomer promises are for us, you know, First John five five, and and it's no coincidence that the the, the author of Revelation, the Apostle John, also the author of First John, First John five five says, "Who is he that overcomes? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God." So all of the overcomer promises are for all of us, but we've got to be honest with our hearts. We've got to be able to say, Jesus, that describes my walk with you. I'm the lukewarm, and as is the case with with uh, um, Laodicea, or maybe with Ephesus. Lord, I've fallen out of love with you. I used to love you so much, and I'm still serving. I'm still doing all the things, but instead of a labor of love, it's just turned into labor. And then all you need to do is is look at the overcomer promise, and by faith you can claim those promises, repent, and, and just say, okay, Lord, let's start over. Let's start over. So in all seven letters, there's some important warnings, but, but just as they are seven real historical churches, John, they also represent seven church ages throughout the history of the church some 2,000 years. And every church has been through these things, but individually, we all go through them as well. And that's why reading them, I mean, this is Jesus speaking directly to you. I don't know how um, much um, more important it could be than Jesus saying to you, uh, I have um, these things for you. So, John, thank you for the question. I appreciate it very, very much. Here is our question from Anonymous Question. Uh, he or she says, Zacchaeus made restitution when meeting Jesus. I can't afford to pay back what I've stolen. Do I have to before I can be saved? Anonymous, um, listen closely. Don't let the devil lie to you. Uh, you're right. Zacchaeus was standing right there with Jesus. And Jesus said, today, Zacchaeus, I'm going to come to your house. He knew 
that he had to get right with the people that he'd stolen from in order to be able to have Jesus into his house. So Zacchaeus, he chose being with Jesus and Jesus being in his house over and above the money that he had. I'll pay four times back if I've robbed anybody. And, and he owned it. And that's a great model for us to follow, if in fact we can. But the reality, Anonymous, is that we often can't afford to pay back what we've stolen from people or what we've ripped off from people. So no, you don't have to pay back what you've stolen. To be saved, you have to believe in Jesus Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. And if you'll receive that, if you'll just sort of block out the devil, take take those thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ, then all the pressure will come off your shoulders. Now, let me also say this. It is a good thing, a healthy thing, a righteous thing to go to people that you have uh, ripped off, uh, people that you've offended, people that you've lied to, people that, that you've cheated on, whatever your particular thing might be, and let them know that you're really sorry. I'm really sorry. I, I hope and pray that you can forgive me one day. But I'm talking to you because I met Jesus. And this is what he'd want me to do. And it's it's just that simple. You, you'll meet all kinds of different reactions. I did this one time anonymous to somebody that uh, I had been lying to and had stolen from. Uh, and, and uh, you know, it, it actually had such an impact. And I was able to see the Lord move on my behalf. And I didn't have to pay him back. He sort of just forgave the whole thing. But it's one of those things where you get the opportunity to witness. You get to share with people who Jesus is and what he's done for you. And the one thing I can promise you is that after you do that, the Holy Spirit will kind of linger around that person for a very long time trying to remind him or her what a different person you really are. And it's all because of Jesus Christ. So, no, you don't have to pay them back. I understand not being able to afford to do it. But whenever possible, we need to be able to tell people you're sorry. I did this. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. But if you don't, I understand it. I just wanted you to know that I met Jesus and I'm different now. And I'm going to live the rest of my life serving him. And if you do that anonymous, believe me, the Lord will use that. So don't listen to the lies of the devil. Listen to the promises of Jesus. I think that's going to be kind of a theme for me throughout our spiritual warfare Bible studies. Don't listen to the lies of the devil. Listen to Jesus. Daniel says, God says, if his people humble themselves and pray, he will heal our land. Is there any hope now for America? Um, Daniel, um, uh, I'm, uh, people get so upset when I say this, but but no, there is no hope for America uh, we we should you know again it's a wonderful thing to pray for our country, pray for our leaders, but there's no hope in this world anymore apart from Jesus Christ. That's got to be our focus. It's too easy for Christians to look at the country and look at the things that are going along, the the, the things that people are saying and doing, and we just shake our head and wonder how could we ever have gotten here? Well, in part we got here because God's people, His church. We're focused on all of the wrong things instead of being focused on Jesus Christ. We need to focus on winning individual souls to Christ. 
Is there any hope now for America? Daniel, the answer to the question apart from Jesus Christ is no. Is there any hope for Israel? The answer apart from Jesus Christ is no. Is there any hope for, and you can fill in whatever country of origin you might be interested in, the only hope in this world, the only real hope is Jesus Christ. Our job with single-mindedness of purpose is to declare the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ because that's all that matters. You know, Daniel, I've been shaking my head all week and I'm old enough that I've been through a lot of years in this country and um, as an avid reader um, before I lost my vision as, a, as somebody who, who, who lo I love information. I can't believe the things that are going on. I told Paula last night that um, it's insane. I've never been a, you're, you're not a good parent if you send your kids to public school. But what your children are now being force-fed in public schools is criminal. It's a crime against God. It's a crime against nature. And we're seeing suicide attempts among our young people increase so dramatically that everybody ought to be alarmed. Everybody ought to be alarmed. We're seeing drug use. We're seeing um, just unbelievable things. Your children are being forced to accept things that are evil. Not only accept them as evil, but accept them this is just no longer sort of a moral compass. And we're sort of out of step with history if, in fact, we don't believe the things that they believe. And we've got to protect our kids. You know, we used to sort of clichéishly say, the children are our future, and they are. But what they're being taught they're being brainwashed, really. doesn't bode well for America. We need to teach them who Jesus is. We need to demonstrate, model who Jesus is in our homes. And then our hope will be our hope in Christ. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Daniel, that's the only thing. I don't think it matters who is the president. I don't think it matters which political party you belong to. Um, we have lost our way. The world that we live in has lost our way. As I speak to you now, there is a pastor in uh, Alberta, Canada, who is in jail because he allowed his church to meet. I mean, all we have to do is go back three years. That's unthinkable unthinkable. But that's standard fare in the world that we live in now. I have a friend, a Calvary Chapel pastor in San Jose, California, who has been fined up to this point about $1.7 million his church has just for meeting, just for having church. This is a world that we live in and it's a world that's rejected Jesus Christ. And that means it's a world with no hope. 
So what's our response? I don't want to leave you there hanging all bummed out now because, well, boy, that wasn't very encouraging. Remember, false hope is worse than no hope at all. Here's our hope. Jesus Christ, crucified and risen from the dead for the remission of sins. That's all we need to remember. He has a plan. Redeem the time because the time is short. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. And the program is always better when you participate. James asks, Pastor Ron, what's more important, being against abortion and and homosexuality or feeding the poor? I think most Christians have it backwards. James, clearly you're into a social gospel kind of thing. And I don't think it's a matter of what's more important. It's all important. It's all important. The problem is the church cannot solve the problem of poor people. Jesus said the poor you're always going to have with you. We have to stand for righteousness, which means we have to stand against abortion and we have to stand against homosexuality and being transgender. We have to say this is wrong and this is right. And and you're not even a Christian if you're not in support of those things. And this doesn't have to be an either or. Our church does so much for poor people and we're just one little small church in a sea of churches you know hospitals um churches have been behind taking care of the poor from the very beginning in this country those who name the name of christ have done more for charity than anyone else. The problem is that's just never enough. If you're pursuing the social justice, you've lost the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, James, as I said, we're a small church. We have a free doctor's office where people can go and, and, and not only be touched physically, but they're all going to get prayed for. They're all going to have Jesus shared with them. People would never come into a church it costs us a lot of money to do that. But but that's what God wants to do because he cares about them. We have a church body let, like everybody else. Our church body's been going through really difficult times with the pandemic, with the losses of jobs, with the destruction of our economy. We help them out. That's what we do. We help the family of God. That's what the first century church did. Barnabas brought the the, the, the proceeds from the sale of his property and laid them at the feet of the apostles. And basically he said, you do with it as God leads. And we're able to minister to the body. The church is very generous, always has been very generous. But those of you, James who think, well, because homelessness is out there, because poverty is out there, we're not doing enough. There's never going to be enough. And what we've got to do is focus on that which we can influence. We're not going to solve the problems created by sin in this world. Jesus is the answer for them if they reject him. Well, Jesus said, again, the poor you're always going to have with you. So, James, you're not looking high enough. You're looking out instead of up. Let me ask you this, James. How can you not be against 65 million babies being murdered in the womb? How can you not be against that? How can you not 
stand in opposition to murder. With the issue of homosexuality, the Bible that you probably claim to believe in, James, declares that people who live like that will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you think you're worried about the homeless now or the poor now, what about the people who are going to spend forever and ever in eternal torment? Perspective, James. That's what you need. You need perspective. And you're letting the lies of this world and you're letting your focus be turned away from that which matters to God. Yeah, I wish people weren't poor. I'm a generous man. I wish we could feed everybody. I wish we could provide housing for everybody. But we can't. There are some problems without solutions. And churches, James, even those churches that you may be critical of because they have these huge facilities, believe me, if you looked behind the scenes, the overwhelming majority of those churches are doing a whole lot of good for poor people with the money that they bring in from their congregations. So James, with apologies and with respect, I think you're the one who's got it backwards. It's Jesus, just Jesus. He's the need. Brandon says, I'm going to do this one after the break. That's a little bit too long. Uh, Will says, Pastor Ron, people refuse to accept responsibility for their lives. Why is it so hard to accept who you are instead of wanting to be something else and insisting that others agree? Well, I'm not exactly sure that I, I understand um, the, the, the purpose of your question. You are right. In fact, it has always been true that people refuse to accept responsibility for their lives. Um when you ask why is it so hard to accept who you are instead of um, wanting to be something else and insisting that others agree, I don't know whether you're referring to uh, the, the, the the demand that uh, LGBTQ groups make for to be accepted. Uh, I actually read a, a letter from somebody um, online today um, calling Christians the worst people on earth because they want to deny LGBTQ people the normal rights of everybody else. That's not ever what we said. And then you get a little bit further down that letter and you really get to the to the nuts and bolts. Uh, this person said, um, why won't they stop calling us sinners? And the answer, well, is because what they're doing is sinful and we want them to be in heaven. People need to accept responsibility for the condition of their lives. You are right. But we as believers should never be able to accept somebody's choice of lifestyle. We we can respect it. We have to give them the freedom to engage in it because that's what God does. But we, sh- we can never be accepting of a lifestyle that's going to result in eternity in hell. agreeing, wanting others to agree with us. You know, misery loves company, but there's also, we think, safety in numbers 
So if I can get enough people to agree that what I'm doing is okay, well, then I can have the false hope that I talked about earlier, the false hope that's worse than no hope at all. Here's a question from Carl. Can Satan cause natural disasters? Carl, uh, the answer, I think, is no. There's nothing Satan can do that is harmful uh, without the the express permission of God. It's that simple. Uh, Satan has a leash on him. Uh, He is enormously powerful. It's one of the things we're going to talk about in our study on spiritual warfare over the next five or six weeks out of Ephesians 6. Um, But... um, um, causing diseases, causing natural disasters, those are not things that are within his purview. So I think we need to, to stop looking at Satan as being the cause of every bad thing that happens in this world. Uh, Paul says to the church at Rome that the, the, the earth groans, the creation groans, awaiting its redemption. Imagine how badly the earth that was created to be perfect when he saw it, it was good, it was good, it was good. Finally, it, gets, it was very good after he created man. Satan didn't cause any of that. Humankind did. So, no, I don't think Satan can cause natural disasters. I think the natural disasters that we have are warning signs of a decaying creation intended by God to be used so we can look up. But make no mistake... Satan has limits on his power given by God. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the week. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the Word of Standing for Life. I'll be back in two minutes. Welcome back to the Friday program. It's always kind of like eye-blinking, I start on Monday, welcome to a new week, and then it's Friday before I turn around. Hey, we'd love your live calls and questions, 340-9585. Here's the question that I wanted to wait a few minutes on just to make sure I had enough time. It is from Brandon. He says, I read a few Christian blogs, and there seems to be a trend of women bloggers who delight in exposing other Christians. Is this healthy? Um, Brandon, I could go off on this and I won't. Um, Let me first say this. It's sad that we Christians, uh, especially public figures in Christianity, um, are living lives that can be attacked by anybody who wants to expose us. And if we live our lives above reproach, if we live our lives with transparency, then then these things shouldn't happen. Now, having said that, um, and, and I want to make it clear, I don't want anybody to get away with anything. But but you see, God is able to expose his people. God is much more patient than humans are. And now we've got a, a vehicle, the Internet, through which anybody with a with a complaint, legitimate or not, can take it out and ruin people's reputations in no time at all. Ravi Zacharias and the scandal um, uh, since his death that's come out is a perfect example. Um, God exposed Ravi. God exposed Ravi. God knew what he was doing all along. Why would we want to invest our time now that he is with Jesus and 
understands the severity of his sins? Why would anybody want to spend more time exposing more stuff? I got a bulletin just yesterday, Brandon, uh, about something that's supposedly going on that's really terrible at the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. Jim Cimbala, not my style, not my flavor, but but he hasn't been touched with any scandal. He's He loves the Lord, and he's he's been serving God for a very long time. And yet there is a group that has a blog that's questioning everything they've ever done and trying to make it sound like their intention is to do shady things. There's just no value. And even if you are on your, I want justice high horse, God would never sanction the kind of things that are being said in these blogs by other Christians. And their sin is greater you know, the man or the woman who, who claims to be righteous and I'm going to expose truth and and um, the people need to know. Um, they're more accountable to God than others. When you stand for justice and righteousness, you better be living righteously. Now, with regard to your trend of women, uh, especially when it comes to abuse blogs, women have a presence on the Internet an undeniable presence. But if you dig a little bit deeper into their doctrinal positions or into their theology, in other words, what they believe about God, um, they're, they're, they're very liberal or progressive, um, anti-Bible. They're, 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 they're egalitarians rather than complementarians. It doesn't matter. It's just their side is right. And, you know, the tragedy, Brandon, is that we have... Uh, uh, they have an audience. You know, when you read somebody saying really bad things about somebody, it's time to just turn it off. And if we would do that, they wouldn't have an audience and it would stop. But the fact is, the Christian blogosphere is just like the British tabloids, or TMZ or any of the others. It doesn't matter where there's truth. They've got an agenda, they're pushing it. And they're accountable to God. You can have the right information and you can respond to it the wrong way. But these men and women, again, the number of women seems to be far greater than the number of men who are all about exposing things are people that will not look into their own hearts. Their crusade is what matters to them. And it's really a tragedy. So, Brandon, I'd read fewer Christian blogs. Uh, it's very unhealthy on both ends, writing them or listening to them. Okay, Diva. What a name. Diva says, I hope this isn't Dina who writes and it just came across from. Uh, explain what faith really is, please. Well, I can do it, Diva or Dina. Um... Faith is believing the promises of God. Faith is a gift from God where it's required in order to believe in a God that we can't see. I mean, think about it. Uh, my whole life has been served. My whole adult life has been served. Um, serving a God that I've never seen. Can't touch him. I can I can hug Paula. She stopped by the office just a little while ago, and I could give her a hug and a kiss. I can't do that with Jesus. 
but I love him. I love him. By faith, I know that he's real. By faith, the evidence is overwhelming. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. That's Hebrews 11, 6. And if you love him, you want to please him. And so we want to trust him. And even with a lot of Christians who have saving faith, they'll trust God for eternity, but they won't trust God for today or tomorrow. It's incongruous. I mean, you think about it, it just doesn't make any sense. If God could forgive me of my sins, if Jesus died and didn't stay dead, if if all of that's real, then shouldn't I trust him with whatever it is that's going on in my life today? So faith is an act of trust. Saving faith, but there's living faith as well. Living faith is trusting him with today, trusting him with medical issues, trusting him with financial issues, trusting him with broken hearts, trusting him when we lose somebody and our grief is overwhelming. We can trust him. And that's what active faith really is, living faith. Faith isn't some force out there. Faith has no value in and of itself. Faith is only as good as the object of faith. And the object of our faith is the best of the best. So that's what faith is. It's faith to get up in the morning and say, okay, Lord, today I'm going to let you lead and guide. Faith is encountering a really difficult circumstance and saying, okay, Lord, I don't understand this, but I don't have to because I trust you. And no matter what's going on, I'm going to serve you. That's what faith really is. So it's not a thing out there. Faith is a gift from God that he gives us sufficiently every single day. So again, Diva or Dina, there's faith that saves And there's faith that lives. I often sort of in my own mind picture it as faith, what's in the brain and in the heart getting down to my feet so that I'm actually walking by faith every day. And that's the only way we're going to please God. It's the only way we're going to learn how magnificent, how powerful he is, how good he is. It's the only way that we're going to learn that we can't really rely on ourselves, but instead to rely on him daily for everything. That's what faith really is. And here's sort of the payoff. When you walk by faith with Jesus every day, not a day will go by that you don't experience the smile of God in your life. You'll see him make life-changing things. Paul and I in the program yesterday, we we're talking about March 4th, 1994, when God first mentioned San Antonio, Texas, and me to begin praying for the people in San Antonio, Texas. When you walk by faith every day, you can encounter something that's going to change the rest of your history. That's what happened to me that day. I'd never even thought about San Antonio, Texas. But all of a sudden, that was all I could think about. And it was that day when everything changed for us. 
and all these years later, we're so grateful that it did. So I hope that explains. Thank you. I appreciate it very, very much. 340-9585. Uh, Oliver says, Pastor Ron, how do you respond to those who claim that Isaiah was written by at least three different authors? You know, Oliver, when I was first saved, this was a really difficult thing for me because I was studying at a library, a school of theology library that was, I didn't know it was a very liberal, in fact, probably the most liberal um, school of theology in the United States in Claremont, California. Um, and I didn't know from liberal or conservative. I, I, I mean, I didn't know. It was just a book, a, a, a library with thousands upon thousands of books about Jesus. And I wanted to learn everything that I could. And when I was reading through Isaiah, I was looking in their stacks for some commentaries. And there was Isaiah and Deutero, Isaiah, and then third Isaiah. Uh, and and I, I just didn't understand. Um, and so trying to dig in, um, I, I thought, well, the best way to resolve this issue in my own mind is to go to Jesus. And I can tell you that Jesus himself his favorite prophet was Isaiah, favorite in terms of he used it the most, he quoted it the most. And Jesus quoted from all three of those sections that are under dispute in the liberal world of theology and attributed all three of those quotes to Isaiah. Now, for me, that pretty much sums it up. I don't have to guess if if in what they claim is first Isaiah or Deutero Isaiah or third Isaiah, if Jesus quotes from all three portions of the book and says Isaiah quoted it or Isaiah said. But that's all we should need. So that's how I'd respond. People that think they know more than Jesus scare me, Oliver. So I, I think you can read Isaiah understanding clearly this is a, a man with more than 50 years worth of, of ministry. He had a lot to say. God used him wonderfully. But what we need to do is just really and truly understand. Um, Jesus says it's Isaiah. It's Isaiah. So I hope that helps a little bit. Thank you. Here's a question from our email inbox. This one comes from Dewey. Uh, hello, Pastor Ron. I know God shows himself through patterns and uses typology to teach us about life and his will for us. My question is the great apostasy. When I hear this, I think of people abandoning the church in mass numbers. How does the Bible explain this? Does the Bible show this to be the church in the future? I know the Bible talks about the kind of churches in the book of Revelation. I just want to get more understanding of this topic. You know, the great, the, the great apostasy, uh, one translation calls it the great falling away. The, it, it speaks of the Antichrist. Um, the, the, the great falling away will come before he's revealed kind of thing. Uh, and I believe, Dewey, that we are in the middle of that great falling away right now. That means the Antichrist is on the horizon. Now, remember that as Christians, we won't see him. Um, we'll be out of here before he, he comes to, to, to public life. Um, he may be out there in public life now, but, but in terms of being empowered by the enemy, we won't see that. 
So the great falling away is um, more the, the, the falling away from the truth of Jesus Christ, sound doctrine, um, people reading the Bible and saying that that when Paul says uh, homosexuals will not inherit the kingdom, oh no, that's that's not what he meant. We're in this great falling away. It, it doesn't have anything to do with numbers. But here's the thing: we're losing numbers in the church because so much of the church has fallen away from sound doctrine. Who wants to go to a church that just gives pep talks? There's no value. There's no supernatural power in those churches. They have a form of godliness, but denied the power thereof. And so the the, the great falling away we're experiencing now. Um, again, another friend, Calvary Chapel in, in Philadelphia, or not Philadelphia, but in Pennsylvania. Um, um, he, he has his teachings posted on YouTube. And um, he taught out of Galatians about homosexuality. And he got notified by YouTube that he was barred for life because of his message against homosexuality. Now, he, he they didn't say it was because of that message, but they said a review of your messages has determined and, and uh, that they're filled with hate speech and, and so that he's barred from life. Um, and a lot of the church, the professing church, is okay with that. Well, can't we just love people, you know, don't call people sinners? Joel Osteen. I mean, he's been apostatizing from the day he took over from his father. And you see the numbers of people that he attracts. That's the great falling away. Now, let me also say this, Dewey. Um, people abandoning the church, I said a year ago, that God was going to use this pandemic to shake out his church. I think we have a whole lot of wheat and a whole lot of tares in the church a year ago. And I think today, the tares have fallen away. Sadly, I think some of the churches themselves are tare fields. I hope that makes sense. Churches have been closed for a year. And we wonder why people aren't coming back to church. If we want people back in church, we need to preach the word, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. We need to be in church. We need to be open. We need to stand with the truth. We need to accept the fact that we're going to be very unpopular and that the world is going to come against us. But that's exactly what Jesus said would happen. They hated him. They're going to hate us. They insulted him. They'll insult us. We're no longer the good guys. And you're going to see a lot of people in the church that are going to be so uncomfortable with the way the world perceives them. We've seen, um, because of the evangelical embrace of Donald Trump, we've seen millions of Christians abandon evangelicalism. It's like it's a dirty tag. I don't want to be associated with him. But you see, that's the church's fault. Because we lost focus. So I believe, and this is just me, do I believe that we're in the great apostasy right now. I believe that Jesus is getting ready to call his church home. 
And then we're going to see the man of lawlessness. We won't see him, but the world will see the man of lawlessness, the man that we call the Antichrist. And no one should be surprised because the Bible predicts it. The Bible predicts it. Thank you, Dewey. I appreciate it very, very much. We've got a phone call. Uh, Jeff on line one. Jeff, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. How you doing today on this Friday? Beautiful outside. I'm doing well. I, I'm my, my people are making fun of me because it says 82 outside, and I had my heater on in here. I said, well, it's not 82 in here, so if it's that warm, it's beautiful outside for sure. I've just been inside all day. Yeah, that was that was that was a beautiful uh, program yesterday with Mama Paula. I, I oh, called in at you. the end of the show, but but Jimmy beat me. But I love Jimmy, so it's like, I'm like, oh, that's fine. It's Jimmy. <laughs> I love Jimmy. Like I love Ruben and Cindy and we need to have a virtual a virtual church, you know. Anyway. Hey, starting starting next week we can get back everything sort of back to normal. Um, That's awesome. Have a breakfast somewhere I, somewhere. I had a comment, but then I was listening to you over the you know, just the last couple minutes there and uh you know I'm I'm still I'm almost embarrassed to say, uh, still involved with ministry in the Methodist Church. And this has been the hardest couple years of my spiritual life, you know, and add to it, uh, you know, just what's happened over this past year. And when you talk about apostasy and how the Methodists have just literally rejected the Bible, I mean— I have a letter from of, from a grown-up Sunday school class that was addressed to the congregation saying that, uh, and I'm not even grown-up, I mean, these are people that have been in that congregation for 30, 40 years or more, saying that uh, the message that the Bible projects about uh, homosexuality is no longer relevant. We do not believe that it is relevant to today's society, and also that um, you know clergy cannot be transgender or but whatever you know they just totally dismissed it and and wrote in words that the bible is now irrelevant when it speaks on those on those topics and i you know i just want to get out of there so bad i'm stuck for a number of reasons that i i can't move yet but, you know, I'm praying, I've been praying, you know, just fiercely, Lord, reveal to me what you want me to do there. Am I just supposed to be a remnant to, to help what remnant is left of that church? Or do I need to just go, you know, and go out the front door? And and um, I don't know. It's a really hard, hard place to be. I don't have a, a, an attachment Although I was baptized in the Methodist Church, but I don't have a, you know, I don't have an attachment there, and I feel actually, you know, less than I've, you know, I just can't find men like the men at Calvary. You know, I just can't find men that have a desire to be with Jesus, you know, and and the whole election thing brought to head these infighting like I'd never seen it before, yeah. you know. 
No, Jeff, you, anyway. you, you're probably not, you're probably not going to like my answer, you know, saying that you're stuck there, but a time comes when we have to take a stand for Jesus. It's, it's, mm-hmm. I always picture in my mind, Jesus drawing a line and what I call the spiritual sand. He's drawing mm-hmm. that line and we got to choose which side we're going to stand on. And Jesus said, if we confess him before men, he'll confess us before his father. But if we deny him before men, He'll deny us before his father. Now, that's not a lose your salvation kind of statement. But the idea here is that that if we are part of a church where standing with and for Jesus is going to put you on the outside looking in, then the outside is where you belong. It's, it's just that simple. When they trash the Bible, and that's what they've done. They've trashed the Bible. I had somebody send me a, a link to an article today about the split in the UMC. And, and you know, this split didn't start just recently with homosexuality. This split started uh, 30 years ago when they basically threw out the Bible. Mm-hmm. And, and um, you know, to be a part of an organization that doesn't believe in God's word is really to two sides. And and I think Jesus would say, no, no, I don't need a remnant. It's apostate. We need you to go. Come out and be separate, we're told, uh, in the Word of God. But but again, if you don't believe in the Word of God, that's a game. And I've seen so many families broken by these things. It started with the Lutheran Church. It split years ago. Now there's going to be an ugly fight over church properties. Well, well, uh, well I'm with the conservative group, or I'm with the liberal group, but we own the, the properties. Uh, what it says to the rest of the world is that we don't really care who God is. We're going to continue to make him who we want him to be. And the truth of the matter is, is that we are now the crowd, a crowd that a week earlier was saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, to remain in those churches and mm-hmm. and and it's it's to, to shout crucify him. We have really destroyed his word. And Jesus said he honors his word. The Bible says honors his word above his name. And um, it's it's no longer fashionable to be in the world, uh to be to be to, to believe the world. Uh to, to believe the word rather. And uh, I think this is a time in these last days to take a stand. And uh, I'm not you. I can't relate to your circumstances. So what I would do is I would say, Jesus, what do you want me to do? And, and I think what he would tell you is, trust me. Just trust me. There's more power in being with Jesus than being with a group of people. Thank you, Jeff. God bless you. Ah, that went fast. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. I hope you have a great week serving the Lord. I pray that Sunday is a wonderful day for you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord willing, I'll be back on Monday at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then.